Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. My guest today is Dan Millis. He's the Sierra Club Borderlands Campaign Coordinator. Dan, that sounds like a huge title, Sierra Club Borderlands Campaign Coordinator. What does that mean? Well, it means that I'm in charge of helping the Arizona State Sierra Club uh, work on border issues. And there's a lot of border issues that impact the environment and the communities uh, along the border, as well as folks who live farther from the border. Um, There's all sorts of problems that occur primarily because of the way the federal government approaches the border. And that has been uh, militarization and um, trying to enforce problems away. And it it just hasn't worked. And, And we've really seen that with the border wall, especially. I think that many people perceive the border in terms of our country and another country and immigration and whatever people's opinions are on that. But I think that most people don't really think about what that impact is on the environment. And tell us more about why that's important. Yeah, we hear that a lot. Um, A lot of folks say, you know, I've never thought about these environmental impacts of border issues, but there are a ton. And let's start with the wall, for example. So there are hundreds of miles of walls already built along the 2,000-mile U.S.-Mexico border. And those walls cause a variety of problems, not just for the people. It causes a lot of problems for people and communities, um, but also causes problems for wildlife. For example, when their habitat is destroyed to make way for a wall or um, certain species need to migrate across that border. And if there's a wall in the way, that can cause huge problems. It can prevent migrations and it can even exclude certain species from our country like the endangered jaguar. There's also a a lot of problems with flooding uh, along the border where these walls have been built across flash flood zones, arroyos, rivers. And when the water comes up against the wall, obviously it's not going to flow as quickly. In some places it stops entirely and you get um, big backups of water. We saw about 10 years ago in downtown Nogales, Sonora, six feet of water flooded that community because of the border wall acting as a dam. Uh, Two people drowned. There was millions of dollars in damages. Cars were floating up against the wall. So those are some examples of the impacts to communities from walls. It's not just the animals that get hurt by border walls. What are some of the most critical things that you are working on, Dan Mellis, as the Sierra Club Borderlands campaign coordinator? Well, right now we are working to stop the wall. We're trying to stop Trump's wall specifically. Uh, As everybody knows, uh, that was sort of a signature of his campaign and he's been demanding billions of dollars to build more border walls. Now, what people don't necessarily know is that he has already received billions of dollars for the border wall and that uh, several dozen miles of walls are um, under construction or have already been built by the Trump administration. So we're at a really interesting point right now where uh, border walls have a lot of momentum. There are funds appropriated by Congress. This is not being paid for by Mexico. These are U.S. taxpayer dollars that are being wasted on additional unnecessary border walls. And these projects are moving forward. Yet at the same time, 
we have an American public who is galvanized against the border wall. The border walls are less popular than they've ever been. You might not know that if you just watch uh, sound bites on the mainstream media. But uh, according to polls, uh, at least 60% of Americans are opposed to border walls. And uh, as you get closer to the border, that number just goes up. I have read that quite a bit. Uh, I've noticed that people closer to the border have a greater understanding of the border and those issues and the binational arrangements than perhaps people further away from the border. Absolutely. And that's th that's always been the case. The closer you get to the border, uh, the more of a reality check you're getting about border walls and what's really happening in our borderlands and in our border communities. So um, a lot of folks maybe in the interior of the country in the Midwest might think that the border is a relatively small area. They might look at a map and see a line on that map and think, oh, there must be something there, some kind of, you know, wall or something. And really what people should think about when, when we think of the border is not a wall or a line, but we should think about a river because most of our Mexico-U.S. border is defined by the Rio Grande. And even here in Arizona, where uh, the border is that arbitrary line through the dirt, uh, if you walk that line, you cross rivers, you cross streams, you cross arroyos, flash flood zones. Uh, here we are in the Santa Cruz River Valley right now here in Tucson. Santa Cruz River crosses the border twice uh, as it makes its U-turn from the San Rafael Valley down into Sonora and back up into the United States through Tucson. The San Pedro River, one of the last free-flowing rivers in the, in the southwest United States, is home to hundreds of species of birds, flows south to north across the border. And there are walls and barriers that sit in these river beds. And it's, it's, uh, it's a huge problem. Everybody knows that water is life. Water is essential, especially here in the desert. And to put walls or vehicle barriers in those riverbeds is just asking for trouble. And we've, we've seen those walls washed away. We've seen vehicle barriers washed down the river. Uh, the, the migration patterns of animals that depend on these rivers are blocked or disturbed by border walls and all the bulldozing that accompanies the border walls. There's lights, there are cameras. There's a proposal to build a series of camera towers across the Tana Atom Nation. Uh, all of this militarization of the border has a huge impact for the communities and for the wildlife and the landscapes. Yet it's not shown to be effective in stemming human migration. You talked about some different species such as the jaguar and here in Tucson and, and also uh, in northern Mexico, there are organizations who also are concerned about the jaguar. What, why, why is that important? Well, first of all, the jaguar is beautiful. Uh, if folks aren't familiar with it, it's the third largest cat in the world. It is the, the spotted big cat, the only cat in the Western Hemisphere that roars. And it is pretty incredible that these animals are from here. You, you might think Central America, su Southern Mexico, but uh, traditionally <laughs> or um, prehistorically, the jaguar lived as far north as the Grand Canyon. So uh, what happened was they were hunted into extinction, basically, from the United States. But we still have breeding populations of jaguar in northern Mexico. 
And the big miracle that happened a couple of decades ago was that we started to see Jaguar reappearing in the United States. Now, so far, all of the Jaguar that have been documented in the U.S., whether they've been photographed or confirmed by wildlife biologists, they've all been male. So uh, as these male Jaguar roam looking for better territory, looking for mates and food and whatnot, they roam across the border. At least that's what we think. Um, It's also possible that there are uh, Jaguar, even female Jaguar breeding populations living in the U.S., but we don't know it. They are very, very uh, reclusive animals. And if they see any sign of humans, if they detect humans, uh, they're going to try to get away from us. So um, the, besides just being beautiful animals, the jaguar is really important because it sits at the top of the food chain. It's right there on the top of the food pyramid. And if you have a keystone species like that coming back, making a comeback, being hunted into oblivion, but then saying, hey, this is my home. I'm coming back. That's a good sign for our ecosystem because it means that the rest of the foundation of that ecosystem is healthy. And if we can put the head back on top of that ecosystem's body, so to speak, and and have jaguars and predators like that that are thriving in this environment, they actually help balance everything out. That's so interesting to me. Could you tell me more about, so with the jaguar at the head, what does some of the rest of a, a healthy ecosystem look like? Well, there's a variety of species that are part of the Sonoran Desert ecosystem that people like a lot. Uh, something like the, the javelina, for example. Uh, and a lot of these species I'm talking about, the jaguar would like a lot too, uh, to have as a, a snack. But there are deer. Um, there are smaller species like roadrunners, rattlesnakes, uh, Sonoran Desert toads. And the the interesting thing, all those species I just named, we have photographs of those species being blocked by the wall. So it's not just the jaguar that's being imperiled here. It's game species. If you're, if you're a, a hunting enthusiast or if you like to go out and watch wildlife, which, by the way, is a, a huge mover of the Arizona economy, watchable wildlife, especially birds. People who, who come and recreate and want to see wildlife, they spend a lot of money here, and it really helps uh, prop up our jobs and prop up our economy. But all of these different species are being impacted, not just the jaguar, even the bird species. Because of loss of habitat, uh, bulldozing from walls, um, some of those lights that I mentioned and, and surveillance towers, they can be 180 feet tall. And so that can be very confusing for birds and their migration patterns. Bats lose a lot of their food to some of the development that, that goes along with border walls. It's really any species you can think of in our Sonoran Desert, including the vegetation, because of their seed dispersal being disturbed, is getting impacted um, by the walls and by the thousands of vehicles that Border Patrol has out there driving around, many times in roadless areas, driving off-road and um, causing a lot of damage. So, you know, the border has a lot of meaning for a lot of people, and there are very important issues at play in the Mexico-U.S. borderlands. But it's important to, to look at these problems and, and think, all right, what are some of the root causes? For example, we have a huge problem of migrant deaths. A lot of people who are trying to cross the border get lost, get sick, lose their way, and end up dying right here in our home state of Arizona. That's a very important issue for me. It's the reason I got involved in border issues in the first place. It it really bothers me that every year we're finding between 150 and 300 people 
dead right here in our home state. And how is the border wall related? Well, many of these people are crossing through the mountain ranges, like the Babakiri Mountains, Tumacacri Mountains, um, or they're crossing through desert, desert landscapes like at Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument or Cabeza Prieta National Wildlife Refuge. And the reason people cross in these areas is because they're avoiding the walls, the lights, the cameras, the sensors, the helicopters, all of that militarization that started in the cities and is most intense in and around places like Nogales, people go around. They get funneled to their deaths in the mountains and the deserts of Arizona. So that's one example of how people are being impacted negatively by border walls. And border walls aren't helping solve the problem. They're making it worse. If you look at why people are crossing the border, they're probably looking to reunite with family. Maybe they're looking for a, a better life, better opportunities to provide for their families or to, to get jobs. Maybe they're looking for better health care, better education. Border walls provide none of that. They do absolutely nothing to address the root causes of why people are crossing the border. And so people simply go around the walls. They go over the walls. Um, and meanwhile, we don't have a just or humane immigration system in place to allow people to cross with dignity through the ports of entry, just like you and I would do if we went on a trip to Rocky Point, for example. So that's the real base problem that we have. The, the walls, if anything, just symbolize our failure as a country to address these important problems. And what we choose to do instead is to put on a, a dog and pony show. Uh, literally, there are reality TV shows that just make our communities look like um, some sort of uh, cops and robbers type of situation where everyone's either involved with the drug smugglers or everyone is a border patrol agent and that's all that happens at the border. It's, it's totally inaccurate and unfair. And so that approach to these problems doesn't work. It, it, it's just, uh, um, it makes, it makes life harder for the people who live here. It uh, degrades our ecosystems. It, it uh, contributes to an uglier landscape. And you've, people here in Arizona have probably gone down and seen these border walls that in some areas stretch for dozens of miles uh, unbroken. And it's, it's really a symbol of, of hate and, again, failure of our government to address really important problems that, that impact people's lives. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guest today is Dan Millis. He's the Sierra Club Borderlands Campaign Coordinator. Dan, you're bringing up so many uh, important issues, giving us a background, a history, uh, touching upon the environmental issues of a border wall and talking about all the different uh, economic, political, social migration policies that are all involved. And how do you begin to work on a solution with this? Sure. Well, we're in a tough spot right now in terms of finding solutions. Again, the good news is that people in the United States have never been more committed than we are now as a country to stopping these walls and to stopping the insanity that Trump has manufactured on the border. When we see people getting tear gassed in Tijuana with Border Patrol illegally launching tear gas canisters into another country, 
women and children having to run away and people miles away having to breathe those toxic fumes, we know it's not okay. We know that that's not how we think the United States should be operating. And, and we know that those aren't the values that we really try to promote in our country. So people are very much energized and wanting to uh, stop this, this racism, this xenophobia, these hateful attacks that people who quite frankly don't live in the borderlands are using the borderlands as a stage to play these things out. And so that's the good news. The bad news is that these things are happening. The Trump administration is taking things to new levels of hatred and xenophobia. And you see that with, you know, whether it was the Muslim ban several years ago or what they're trying to do now, which is just shut down the border, not let people come into the United States and seek asylum. All of this stuff is illegal. And, uh, we see that play out in the way that Trump has waived dozens of laws, just like George W. Bush did. There are now four dozen laws, 48 federal laws that are off the books, like the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, Religious Freedom Restoration Act. These are some of the laws that don't count anymore in our borderlands because the Homeland Security Department under George W. Bush and now under Trump has waived those laws. So Border communities are not afforded equal protection under the law. That's part of the bad news. Um, another part of the bad news and, is that... And to be fair, some of those policies continued under the Obama administration as well. Absolutely. The Obama administration could have been a lot better on border issues. What I can say in their defense is that they at least did not waive any additional laws. As soon as uh, Trump got into office, he waived, uh, I think it's 38 laws. Uh, the Obama administration did not waive any laws. However, they did complete many of the border walls that were initiated under George W. Bush, and they did actually use the waiver authority that was um, administered under the administration of George W. Bush to build a road and a few other small projects. So um, that kind of lawlessness on the border is inexcusable, whether it's coming from Republicans or Democrats, and people in our borderlands deserve equal protection under the law. Again, that lawlessness that is kind of the cornerstone of Trump's way of operating in the borderlands is, is part of the bad news. Another part of the bad news is that Congress, it's been a Republican-controlled Congress for the last two years, and they have given Trump money, a lot of money, nearly $2 billion, uh, for so-called border security, most of which is for building border walls. You might hear some politicians tell you, oh, no, there's no walls, there's only fences, and, oh, you know, we're, we're making sure that this is only for fences that make sense. Well, the fact is the wall and the fence is the same dang thing. I mean, if you go look at it, it's a big, giant piece of steel or it's a big, giant piece of concrete. We have both, and both are either under construction under Trump or are soon to be under construction. So, um, again, the bad news is walls are funded. Walls are moving forward. The Trump administration and its cheerleaders in the Border Patrol Union are taking very hateful and xenophobic steps to try to exclude anyone who is not white from entering the United States. And everybody here in the United States who has a strong moral compass is looking at that and saying, this is not okay and we need to stop it. And you see that reflected in the election results from 2018. How do you see that in the election results? Tell me more about that. Well, um, the Democrats did really well. 
Trump continued to run primarily on racism, xenophobia, and his exclusionist immigration policies. He made that the cornerstone of, of his campaign. And quite frankly, um, the Republicans did very poorly, especially in the House of Representatives, where now we finally are going to have a Democratic majority. But unfortunately, the next two and a half weeks, we have the end of 2018, and we're still stuck with those old Republican majorities in the House and in the Senate. The new folks who got elected don't take their seats until January. And so this is what we call the lame duck Congress. And Trump is trying to use this as a last ditch effort to get billions more dollars, U.S. taxpayer dollars. We're not talking Mexican pesos here. And he's trying to get that money passed so that he can build hundreds of miles of additional border walls. What he has contracted so far are 20 miles of new walls in New Mexico, just west of El Paso. Those have been built through pristine Chihuahuan desert, and it's a travesty. He has also replaced a lot of border walls in California, uh, about 17 miles or so of, of border walls that were already there have been taken down and replaced with taller ones. And he plans to do the same thing here in Arizona. And in fact, a $300 million contract has already been awarded to Barnard Construction Company, uh, the same company that built that piece of wall in New Mexico. And they're looking at building up to 33 or so miles of walls in the vicinity of Yuma and to the east of there, as well as in Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument. This is really bad news because the laws that protect these areas have been waived. And so all they had to do was get money from Congress and award that money to a contractor. And there's nothing anyone can do to stop those bulldozers. So uh, we can expect to see border wall construction in the spring here in Arizona. And I think worst of all is what's going to happen in South Texas. Down at the tip of, of, uh, of Texas, down there in the, the south end is the Rio Grande River. And there's a state park that's likely to close because of border walls that have been contracted there. There's the National Butterfly Center is going to be severely impacted. It's going to be cut in half by a new border wall. There are religious sites like the La Lomita Chapel that is going to be impacted by the walls. Uh, there are indigenous groups like the Carrizo Comecrudo tribe that is very upset about the impact that this is going to have to their traditional lands. And the specifics here are that 14 miles of walls have been contracted. They've been given to uh, a contractor called SLSCO out of Galveston, Texas. Again, it's more than $300 million, and that adds up to uh, a little more than $22 million per mile to build concrete border walls in South Texas. We expect construction to start this spring. And we expect there to be a lot of resistance from the local community who does not want to see these walls go up. But legally, it's very difficult to stop these walls. We're doing what little we can, which is to sue them and say that this authority that they're using to waive laws is unconstitutional. But so far, the courts have not been very friendly to us. They've said that because Congress passed this provision, it's called the Real ID Act of 2005, and Section 102 allows DHS, the Homeland Security Department, to waive laws. It was passed by Congress, and it was signed by George W. Bush, and so therefore they're saying that it's, it's legal. But I think any person who really values fairness and sees that one agency gets to exempt itself from any law that it wants to realizes that that's unfair, 
that it flies in the face of the spirit of the Constitution and that this waiver authority should be done away with. So we're trying to sue to stop this. Some of these lawsuits are being dismissed by the Supreme Court. Supreme Court is not hearing. It's deciding not to hear our cases. That That's just happened this week, in fact. But we're still pushing wherever we think we can to try to bring attention to this problem, to try to stop it in the courts, to try to stop the funding in Congress, and to try to support the local communities who are having to deal with border walls being built literally in their backyards. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Our guest today is Dan Millis, Sierra Club Borderlands Campaign Coordinator. Dan Millis, how can people learn more? What can people do? Well, people can start by educating themselves a little bit more about this issue. I recommend if you're on social media to check out our feed. It's SC underscore Borderlands, as in Sierra Club Borderlands, so SC underscore Borderlands. We post a lot of articles and a lot of um, action items, things that you can do right away. If folks are looking to take action right away, go to sc.org slash no wall. That's for Sierra Club. So it's sc.org slash no wall. And it'll take you to an action where you can write a letter to your senators and tell them not to give Trump any of this last minute money that he's asking for, for more border walls. And that's the most important thing that we need to do is to take action this week and next week so that folks are hearing from us prior to the holidays and prior to 2019 getting too far into that next Congress. We need to stop this border wall funding because it's going to cause huge amounts of damage to people in South Texas. Those projects I mentioned are moving forward. They've already been funded. But if additional funding happens, the entire Rio Grande Valley, the entire chunk of South Texas is likely to be walled off. And like I mentioned before, the river is really the majority of the border. And so if you think about trying to wall off a river, it's, it's really incredible what they do down there. Uh, it, it's horrible. They build the wall a mile or two away from the river, but parallel to it. So that's why people have border walls that go through their yards. These walls are imposed on them, usually along flood levees. But sometimes some of these projects actually propose to build walls in the floodplain itself. And so between the actual border, which is the river, and the wall is a no man's land that's walled off. So actually, technically north of the border, north of the river, yes, would we, be the wall. So not having access to the river. Absolutely. People are walled off from their riverfront property. Uh, some of these wildlife areas that I mentioned, like Benson Rio Grande State Park and the National Butterfly Center, Center literally get chopped in two. And in the case of the state park, it's probably going to close down. Uh, so that's a huge loss for the public. It's a huge loss for the local economy. And we have thousands of acres right now that are north of the border, but south of the border wall. So you're in the United States, but you're on the Mexican side of the wall. It makes no sense. And it's all for a, a useless uh, political prop. Meanwhile, people are going to get flooded from these walls. Uh, the wildlife can't escape floods when they happen. People can't get access to the river anymore, whether it's on their own property or whether they want to go camping at the state park, it's going to be closed down. And places like the La Lomita Chapel are going to be standing in the shadow of a border wall. And like I said, if Trump gets his way, I mean, he's asking for $5 billion or more. Uh, if he gets one single penny of that, 
it's a huge loss for the people in South Texas because we're talking about an entire 150 mile lower Rio Grande Valley that could be walled off. Uh, and the impacts there are, are tremendous. It's just an absolute waste of taxpayer money. It does not help anything in terms of uh, the security or safety of border communities. And it causes a tremendous amount of damage, not to mention just the ugly and hateful symbol that it is. We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Our guest today has been Dan Millis, the Sierra Club Borderlands Campaign Coordinator. You can find this and other recent editions of 30 Minutes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org.